Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Hello, BTK listeners. This is Patrick. I've got Kevin, Jason, and John here with me, and we are thrilled to introduce the Behind the Knife's premium general surgery oral board review. Today, you'll hear a sample scenario from this comprehensive audio review course, which includes 92 scenarios that meticulously cover 115 score core topics. The course has an exciting and entirely unique format. Each of the 92 scenarios includes two parts. The first part is a perfectly executed oral board scenario that mimics the real thing. Scenarios are five to seven minutes long and include a variety of tactics and styles. If you're able to achieve this level of performance in your preparation, you are sure to pass the oral exam with flying colors. The second part introduces high-yield commentary to each scenario. This commentary includes tips and tricks to help you dominate the most challenging scenarios in addition to practical, easy-to-understand teaching that covers the most confusing topics that we face as general surgeons. We are confident you will find this unique, dual-format approach a highly effective way to prepare for the test. So why did we take this on? Well, we simply were not happy with the other oral board prep courses out there. First off, they're ridiculously expensive. No one should have to pay that much. Second, their content is subpar and out of date, so we took matters into our own hands. This oral board review course was designed to not only outperform the competitors, but also save you hundreds of dollars. You should also know that revenue generated from this course will be put right back into Behind the Knife to support creation of more awesome content. It's a win-win for everyone involved. To learn more about Behind the Knife's premium general surgery oral board review, visit www.behindthenife.org and click on the premium tab. You can access additional oral board review material, including a 10-part review series and supplementary mock oral board scenarios by clicking Listen, Series, and then Oral Boards, or by simply searching Oral Boards. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, register for a free Category 1 CME, and even purchase some merchandise. For regular updates, follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode. All right, with that, let's get started with Part A a perfectly executed oral board scenario that mimics the real thing. Behind the Knife Premium Scenario number 47, Hyperparathyroidism, developed by Hunter Underwood and David Hughes, read by examiner John McClellan and examinee Jason Bingham. A six-year-old female is referred to your office after a primary care physician noted she had an elevated calcium on routine labs to 10.9. Additional laboratory workup revealed an elevated PTH to 110 and vitamin D was normal at 35. A 24-hour urinary calcium was normal at 200. Her renal function is normal. She has no other past medical or surgical history. She has not taken any medications currently. She was sent to your office for further management. Okay. Um, well, this blood work is consistent with a diagnosis of primary hyperparathyroidism. I'd begin performing by performing a comprehensive history and physical. Uh, I would ask that she had any symptoms with uh, consistent with hyperparathyroidism, including history of nephrolithiasis, neurocognitive symptoms, history of osteopenia or osteoporosis. I would also ask if there's any family history of thyroid, parathyroid, or adrenal cancers. Uh, my physical exam, um, I would focus to see if the patient had any palpable nodules or lymphadenopathy in the neck. 
She states that she is feeling well and has no symptoms. She has never had kidney stones before and does not have any neurocognitive symptoms. To her knowledge, she does not have osteoporosis or osteopenia. However, she has never had a bone scan. There is no family history of endocrinopathy. Her physical exam is normal without any palpable masses or lymphadenopathy. Okay, so at, at this point, she doesn't have a clear indication for surgery. However, I would like to obtain a bone scan to evaluate for osteoporosis as well as bilateral renal ultrasound to assess for asymptomatic nephrolithiasis. The bone scan reveals osteoporosis and the renal ultrasound demonstrates nephrolithiasis. Okay, well, in that case, she does have an indication for parathyroidectomy, and that's what I would recommend. Is there anything you'd like to do prior to going to the OR? Sure. I would uh, obtain an ultrasound to evaluate for concomitant thyroid disease and aid in parathyroid localization in hopes that I would be able to perform a minimally invasive parathyroidectomy with intraoperative parathyroid hormone monitoring. If the ultrasound did not localize a parathyroid adenoma, I would request either a 4-DCT or a Sestamibi to further aid in localization. The ultrasound reveals a normal pairing thyroid without nodularity and a hypoechoic nodule measuring 1 by 0.5 centimeters behind the left lower pole of the thyroid gland, which may represent a parathyroid adenoma. Would you like to obtain additional imaging? Well, given that the ultrasound um, localized a target that seems suspicious for an adenoma, uh, I would proceed directly to the operating room for minimally invasive parathyroidectomy with intraoperative parathyroid hormone monitoring and would consider using recurrent laryngeal nerve monitoring. Can you explain to me how you perform the parathyroidectomy? Sure. Uh, The patient would be supine on the operating table with the arms tucked and the neck gently extended. Uh, I would establish large-bore IV access for intraoperative parathyroid hormone monitoring. I would then have her intubated with an endotracheal tube with recurrent laryngeal monitoring capability. I would draw a baseline parathyroid hormone and make a collar incision and raise a subplatysmal flap. I would open the midline raffae to retract the strap muscles and gain access to the thyroid gland, retract the thyroid gland medially, and develop the plane between the thyroid gland and the pre-vertebral fascia. I would identify and ligate the middle thyroid vein and begin looking for the inferior parathyroid gland. Once it was identified, I would excise the gland and collect blood samples for parathyroid after excision. Her baseline PTH comes back elevated at 150. What levels would you expect to see after excision that would be indicative of a biochemical cure? Well, I'd want to see the levels fall both into the normal range and have a 50% drop from the baseline. Given the baseline of 150, I would be satisfied to conclude the operation if the parathyroid hormone was less than around 65. Okay, what would be your next step if the PGH at 15 minutes remained elevated at 110? So at this point, I would be concerned that she has multi-gland disease. I would convert to a four-gland exploration. And how would you do that? I'd begin by identifying the superior parathyroid gland on the ipsilateral side. Once I identified the gland, I would send a small frozen section to confirm it was indeed parathyroid and mark it with a clip. I would locate the inferior and superior parathyroid gland on the contralateral side and again confirm with frozen section and place clips. I would not excise any of the glands until I confirmed I had found all three. If any of the glands were clearly uh, abnormal, I would excise them and recheck parathyroid levels. 
If they all appeared relatively normal, I would presume a diagnosis of multi-gland disease and perform a subtotal parathyroidectomy, leaving one half of a parathyroid gland as a remnant. What if you perform the subtotal parathyroidectomy and the levels still do not fall within normal range? Well, at this point, I'd be concerned that she had uh, extra numerary glands. Uh, the most often are located in the thymus. I would perform a bilateral cervical thymectomy and then close. Okay, you do that and close. She presents to your office two weeks after surgery for a post-operative visit and is doing well. Her incision is healing nicely. She has no complaints. She had a PTH and calcium level attained the day before. Her PTH is normal at 20 and her calcium is normal at 8.8. The final pathology is back and confirms that you removed 3.5 hypercellular parathyroid glands. The thymus showed a normal pairing thymus without parathyroid tissue. Be sure to listen to Part B for high-yield commentary and other tips and tricks. Now, you'll hear Part B, which includes high-yield commentary interspersed throughout the scenario. Behind the Knife Premium Scenario number 47, Hyperparathyroidism, developed by Hunter Underwood and David Hughes. Read by examiner John McClellan and examinee Jason Bingham. A six-year-old female was referred to your office after a primary care physician noted she had an elevated calcium on routine labs to 10.9. Additional laboratory workup revealed an elevated PTH to 110 and vitamin D was normal at 35. A 24-hour urinary calcium was normal at 200. Her renal function is normal. She has no other past medical or surgical history. She has not taken any medications currently. She was sent to your office for further management. Hypercalcemia incidentally detected in routine labs is often how patients are found to have primary hyperparathyroidism. The general approach for management should be A, confirm the diagnosis, B, determine if there's indication for surgery, and C, obtain preoperative localization studies to aid in operative planning. It is critical to remember the diagnosis of primary hyperparathyroidism is a biochemical diagnosis and a decision to operate is based on several subjective and objective patient factors. The decision to operate is not based on whether localization studies identify a target. Historically, 80% of primary hyperparathyroidism is due to a single gland disease, whereas 20% is attributable to multi-gland hyperplasia. Okay, um, well, this blood work is consistent with a diagnosis of primary hyperparathyroidism, I'd begin performing by performing a comprehensive history and physical. Uh, I would ask that she had any symptoms with uh, consistent with hyperparathyroidism, including history of nephrolithiasis, neurocognitive symptoms, history of osteopenia or osteoporosis. I would also ask if there's any family history of thyroid, parathyroid, or adrenal cancers. Uh, my physical exam, um, I would focus to see if the patient had any palpable nodules or lymphadenopathy in the neck. The diagnosis of primary hyperparathyroidism is confirmed if the patient has an elevated calcium in a setting of an elevated PTH. It is important to make sure the patient does not have to take any medications that may cause hypercalcemia, hyperparathyroidism, or interfere with PTS assays, such as HETZ, lithium, or biotin. Vitamin D deficiency is commonly seen in a setting of primary hyperparathyroidism given PTH activation of 1-alpha-hydroxylase. If patients have borderline elevated PTH, normal calcium, and low vitamin D, 
It is important to replete vitamin D stores and recheck labs as vitamin D can be a reversible cause of mildly elevated PTH. 24-hour urine calcium should be routinely sent as high values that are greater than 400 as an indication for surgery, and low values should prompt an evaluation for familial hypercalcemic hypocalcemia. The diagnosis of primary hyperparathyroidism at a young age, at less than 40, should make one consider a genetic evaluation to rule out multiple endocrine neoplasia. She states that she is feeling well and has no symptoms. She has never had kidney stones before and does not have any neurocognitive symptoms. To her knowledge, she does not have osteoporosis or osteopenia. However, she has never had a bone scan. There is no family history of endocrinopathy. Her physical exam is normal without any palpable masses or lymphadenopathy. Okay, so at, at this point, she doesn't have a clear indication for surgery. However, I would like to obtain a bone scan to evaluate for osteoporosis as well as bilateral renal ultrasound to assess for asymptomatic nephrolithiasis. The bone scan reveals osteoporosis and the renal ultrasound demonstrates nephrolithiasis. It is important to know the consensus criteria for asymptomatic primary hyperparathyroidism, which is as follows. Calcium greater than 1 milligram a deciliter above upper limit of normal. Bone mineral density by a DXA, T-score less than 2.5, over vertebral fracture by imaging. Kidney stones, creatinine clearance less than 60, 24-hour urine for calcium greater than 400, or kidney stones on imaging. Age less than 50 years, and other findings, neurocognitive, neuropsychiatric symptoms. Patients that have biochemical diagnosis of primary hyperparathyroidism and meet any of these criteria should undergo surgery. If these criteria are not met, then a period of observation is warranted. It is important to remember, however, that these are guidelines and each patient should be viewed individually. Example, a 65-year-old woman who is extremely active and has osteopenia would certainly benefit from surgery, whereas a 49-year-old male with complex cardiac history and no symptoms may not benefit. If the decision is not to operate, then there's no role for imaging. Okay, well, in that case, she does have an indication for parathyroidectomy, and that's what I would recommend. Is there anything you'd like to do prior to going to the OR? Imaging for parathyroid localization is now indicated given the patient will be undergoing parathyroidectomy. The initial test usually performed is either radiology performed or surgeon performed ultrasound. Ultrasound can also rule out concomitant thyroid disease that could be addressed simultaneously if indicated. Any suspicious thyroid nodule should be biopsied prior to proceeding with parathyroidectomy. Parathyroid glands of normal size cannot typically be seen on ultrasound. Enlarged parathyroid glands appear as hypochoic nodules located between the thyroid and the longest coli muscle in the superior position or in the thyrothymic tract inferiorly. If an obvious enlarged parathyroid gland is identified on ultrasound, the patient can proceed straight to surgery. Otherwise, a sesame B or 4D CT scan can be formed to attempt to localize the gland if the ultrasound is negative or equivocal. 4D CT scans exposes the patient to higher radiation and IV contrast, so it may be relatively contraindication in the setting of a young age or chronic kidney disease. The utility of sesame B versus 4D CT is often institutionally dependent. 4D CT, however, is often a preferred study for reoperative parathyroidectomy. Sure. I would uh, obtain an ultrasound to evaluate for concomitant thyroid disease and aid in parathyroid localization. 
in hopes that I would be able to perform a minimally invasive parathyroidectomy with intraoperative parathyroid hormone monitoring. If the ultrasound did not localize a parathyroid adenoma, I would request either a 4-DCT or Sestamibi to further aid in localization. Even if all imaging were negative, the patient still should proceed to the operating room. This patient would require a foregland exploration rather than a focused parathyroidectomy. The ultrasound reveals a normal pairing thyroid without nodularity and a hypoechoic nodule measuring 1 by 0.5 centimeters behind the left lower pole of the thyroid gland, which may represent a parathyroid adenoma. Would you like to obtain additional imaging? Well, given that the ultrasound um, localized a target that seems suspicious for an adenoma, Uh, I would proceed directly to the operating room for minimally invasive parathyroidectomy with intraoperative parathyroid hormone monitoring and would consider using recurrent laryngeal nerve monitoring. Can you explain to me how you perform the parathyroidectomy? Sure. Uh, The patient would be supine on the operating table with the arms tucked and the neck gently extended. Uh, I would establish large-bore IV access for intraoperative parathyroid hormone monitoring I would then have her intubated with an endotracheal tube with recurrent laryngeal monitoring capability. I would draw a baseline parathyroid hormone and make a collar incision and raise a subplatysmal flap. I would open the midline raffae to retract the strap muscles and gain access to the thyroid gland, retract the thyroid gland medially and develop the plane between the thyroid gland and the pre-vertebral fascia. I would identify and ligate the middle thyroid vein and begin looking for the inferior parathyroid gland. Once it was identified, I would excise the gland and collect blood samples for parathyroid after excision. Her baseline PTH comes back elevated at 150. What levels would you expect to see after excision that would be indicative of a biochemical cure? Well, I'd want to see the levels fall both into the normal range and have a 50% drop from the baseline. Given the baseline of 150, I would be satisfied to conclude the operation if the parathyroid hormone was less than around 65. Intraoperative PTH monitoring is critical in ensuring that the cure is obtained in the operating room, if not visually inspecting all four parathyroid glands. Several criteria exist and are summarized below. Many surgeons advocate sending a pre-excision level as manipulating the parathyroid during dissection can result in PTH spikes that could result in misinterpretation of PTH results if not detected. Okay, what would be your next step if the PTH at 15 minutes remained elevated at 110? So at this point, I would be concerned that she has multi-gland disease. I would convert to a four-gland exploration. And how would you do that? I'd begin by identifying the superior parathyroid gland on the ipsilateral side. Once I identified the gland, I would send a small frozen section to confirm it was indeed parathyroid and mark it with a clip. I would locate the inferior and superior parathyroid gland on the contralateral side and again confirm with frozen section and place clips. I would not excise any of the glands until I confirmed I had found all three. If any of the glands were clearly uh, abnormal, I would excise them and recheck parathyroid levels. If they all appeared relatively normal, I would presume a diagnosis of multi-gland disease and perform a subtotal parathyroidectomy, leaving one half of a parathyroid gland as a remnant. What if you perform the subtotal parathyroidectomy and the levels still do not fall within normal range? Well, at this point, I'd be concerned that she had uh, extra numerary glands 
the most often are located in the thymus. I would perform a bilateral cervical thymectomy and then close. Okay, you do that and close. She presents to your office two weeks after surgery for a post-operative visit and is doing well. Her incision is healing nicely. She has no complaints. She had a PTH and calcium level attained the day before. Her PTH is normal at 20 and her calcium is normal at 8.8. The final pathology is back and confirms that you have removed 3.5 hypercellular parathyroid glands. The thymus showed a normal pairing thymus without parathyroid tissue. If the levels do not drop into normal range after removal of the suspected adenoma, a foregland exploration is warranted. It is critical that all parathyroid glands be identified prior to removing an additional parathyroid to prevent permanent hypoparathyroidism. Correct identification of the parathyroid glands can be confirmed with frozen section. If the PTH level is still elevated after subtotal parathyroidectomy, a bilateral cervical thymomectomy can be performed to remove possible supermerit supernumerary, or ectopic glands. If this is not successful, closure and repeat imaging of the, with a 4D CT of the neck and chest is appropriate to attempt to identify the gland in an ectopic uh, location. Thank you for listening to Behind the Knife Premium Oral Board Review. Dominate the day. Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review. Content produced by Behind the Knife is intended for health professionals and is for educational purposes only. We do not diagnose, treat, or offer patient-specific advice. Thank you for listening. Until next time, dominate the day.